Welcome to the Real Estate Women's Podcast. Thanks for pulling up a chair to our roundtable discussion. Here, we'll teach you how you can create a stream of passive income through multifamily investing, and we'll help you to shift your mindset so you can start living the life you really want to be living by design today. Hello. Welcome to the Real Estate Women. My name is Candy. I'm Colleen. I'm Tamara. And I'm Crystal. Welcome to the Passive Investing Podcast. Um, in today's episode, we are going to talk about the location of an investment opportunity and the importance of whether or not it is in a thriving area. Like you hear about real estate, location, location, location. Location is everything. Even when it's a passive investment, you cannot overlook that. Um, and that is one of the reasons that we brought the lovely Mandy McAllister on for this episode. <laughs> so hi, Mandy. Thanks for joining us. Oh, hi. It's great to have you here today um, to talk a little bit about Mandy. Mandy McAllister is a multifamily real estate investor. She spent the bulk of her career in medical device sales, chasing cases and commission checks. In 2021, she decided to leave her W-2 and lean on her financial independence that she built through investing in real estate. Her expertise includes repositioning underperforming assets to increase cash flow and value. Her portfolio now consists of 373 doors of Class B workhouse, workforce housing, finished, furnished student housing, and a motel reposition. Mandy also serves as the CEO of GoBundance Women. Mandy, what are the top three things you look for in a market to know it's a good market for you to invest in? Well, top three, I mean, this, I'm going to consider that the biggest softball of all softballs, Colleen. I, I feel like the things that I say, like that there's the big three, right? Like the things that matter in terms of a market is, are there going to be people there? And what gets people there? It's the population growth. It's the GDP growth, our wages growing, and it's a uh, uh, job growth, right? Like, are there more jobs coming to town to, to support people being able to uh, continue to work in a market. So I consider those the big three. <clears throat> Honestly, you know, a lot of it comes down to um, you got to do your research, but you got to know when to just friggin' pull the plug and commit and move forward. So when I first got started in multifamily, there, there's great you know, resources out there. I love city-data.com. They have a really cool uh, heat map that will show you change since the year 2000. That can kind of help you inform a path of progress. But end of the day, that if you know a place really well, that your gut is gonna tell you when, when something is growing. So uh, when I first got started in multifamily, I wanted to go into a market that had those big three. And I decided I wanted to be able to get to that market and back before dinner as a single mom, right? So I, that meant Indianapolis or Kansas City. And you guys, I spent like the first two years like, oh, well, they're doing this in Kansas City, but what about Indianapolis? Oh, what they're doing? And I FOMO'd my way to Jack for two full years. So the thing I always teach people is pick one for this next transaction, get really super laser focused once you've done enough due diligence on the market and run straight at it for this market. If you're wrong, buy something somewhere else next time. Mm -hmm. 
So I feel like, you know, I don't do a ton of deals. Like I don't, the way I have structured my business is I have a floor of income and I represent deals. I find bigger deals to help syndicate with a, a larger team when and only when they make complete sense and fit my buy box in every single way. So your, your question, I don't know it totally applies to me because I don't continually make those decisions. Like I, I keep an eye and a pulse on where I own assets and where I'm, I'm willing to continue to buy. But I, I don't underwrite 42 different markets. I think that's frankly a fool's errand to try to fully understand 42 different markets. You can really understand one. You can maybe convince me you can really understand a couple, but you cannot understand dozens. Right. Do you take crime into consideration? That, yeah, that makes definitely total sense. Crime for sure. Well, okay. Um, I live in Chicago. You might know of us, uh, know us as the murder capital of the world. It's uh, it's pretty great. Look it up. Uh, so so yes, like that that is a you know uh, it is a big thing. Like the litmus test really is. I feel like you could go so far down the rabbit hole on 142 different like oh, but this is 0.2 percent better and FOMO your way like I was talking about, or you can pick something that feels reasonable enough. One of the books that went around Go Abundance Women that was all the rage a couple uh, probably about a year ago now is called The Psychology of Money. If you haven't read The Psychology of Money, guys, get it. I feel like especially as women, we were perfect little girls and we raised our hand and we waited until everything was exactly right, and then maybe we would ask a question because we didn't want to be like wrong, you know, but we need to be out there making decisions as soon as we are reasonable enough. That was my primary takeaway from that book, reasonable enough, because you can get wrapped around the axle and make no movement. Uh, and, and that is something I want to discourage your audience around. Yeah, it's, we definitely agree. We had a whole mindset episode on uh, start by starting because you can literally get frozen in analysis paralysis. And, um, and it, it, it's it's tough, especially for like for our viewers being mostly passive investors. Of course, it's it's tricky for them because while they they don't have the ability to focus on just one market that, you know, they're seeing a bunch of deals kind of in the same situation you're in coming in from different angles. You know, there's a lot of different um, people might be offering opportunities for them to invest in. And um, what we really want to just focus on is like, what is the biggest thing that they, what's the biggest red flag in a market that a passive investor can, you know, kind of start their due diligence doing and be like, okay, this is really bad. And do you think it leads back to, you know, what you said for, of um, the job growth, um, population growth, those are kind of the biggest red flags for you, right? If, if those aren't moving, then the passive investor should probably just back off of that investment, even if it even if all the other things look good. So I, I feel very strongly that for a passive investor, the, the due diligence that I look to do on a passive investment, because I also passively invest with my, my self-directed IRA and other people's deals. The first and foremost, I bet on the jockey. Right. Because, you know, we all started as new once. We've all been new. You have to start somewhere. I'm not going to bet against someone because they're new, but I want to make sure that they, you know, have been incremental in their approach or they are partnered with someone who really knows what they're doing and has a good track record, you know? So I think first you bet on the jockey and understand how they look at deals. And then I look at the market. 
right? And if the market aligns with, do I think someone will want to live here in 10 years? I try to simplify the conversation. One thing that I love that Einstein said was, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. And I feel like, you know, once you've dived into the multifamily, you know, uh, pool, you start learning so much and then you end up with this curse of knowing, right? And you feel like you need to consider 142 different things when all you really need to know is, do I think someone will live there in 10 years? And if the answer to that is yes, then Maslow's hierarchy of needs tells me that, you know, people need a place to live. And if they're going to have a job there and it's going to be a nice enough place that I have on debt that's locked down and feels very safe, that's hopefully non-recourse, that is the way that I approach investing. I try to zoom out and how am I making this more difficult than it needs to be is a question I ask myself a lot. Also, how can I put more truth to this problem? I always get better results when I think through uh, those two angles. When you look at that, the population growth, do you also take into consideration the, the number like development, new development to see in 10 years, is, it, is an area going to be saturated over, over housing, too much housing? Again, I don't continually vet a bunch of markets. That will be important for, I, I feel like as an operator, as an investor, I largely do joint ventures with just me and a couple of other people we own for the long term. I, I keep my finger on the pulse, especially with the brokers who, uh, work in this market every single day. I get their sense of how much will absorption rate be on whatever development is happening. And then if, you know, my goal though, and you know, we were talking about parenting before we hit record, like you read, how many books did you read, Crystal, before you had your first baby about like being pregnant and having a baby? And then how many books did you read about like once the baby comes, you read no books on when the baby comes out and you read all of the books on not to eat salami while you're pregnant. You know, it's the exact same way with multifamily acquisition in my mind. Like we are, our entire conversation here is about acquisition focus. How do I make decision two of, you know, the market and deal with this like small percent different of this one metric? Like that is important. Yes. But what matters more than not eating salami when you're pregnant is teaching your kid to not be a jerk. Right. So how do you how do you set something up so that you in the long term, you're going to own hopefully. Well, the way that I approach this, I want to own 10, 15 years, these buildings, you know, so I'm way more interested in the ongoing stuff. And if I'm wrong by 10 percent or 20 percent on something that is, you know, not a big rock then I'm going to be fine. So when uh, one thing that, you know, I want to make sure to say to, to passive investors or people looking to go active is, uh, and I, I preach this to the women that I, I have the opportunity to coach, uh, end of the day, underwriting the numbers, it's just guessing. Everybody's guessing, right? Your assumptions, it's a freaking guess. It was such an epiphany to me that like these big guys, like, you know, how do you decide, but it's how good is your guess? If that's it, how good is your guess? How informed is your guess? And if you become an expert on one market, your guess is going to be better informed than if you're trying to be an expert in 42 different markets, right? And the more you do reps on underwriting, the better you are going to you know, trust your own judgment. That is the entire goal of this whole thing. Am I in a spot that I can trust my own judgment? Is my judgment even on whatever metric we're talking about uh, developed enough to be able to be reasonable enough 
to move forward. So if you are going to underwrite, think about it this way. Try to keep it more simple. That's that's where my brain goes. If you can't talk to me like I'm in the fourth grade, I ain't going to understand you, right? So what is the big number that goes in to co- what, what big number do you collect? You collect rents, right? So if you could get really close to truth on rents, who cares if you're off by 30% on your laundry number? You know, you're, you're still going to be pretty close. And same thing with the money out. So anyway, uh, zoom out and try to just be reasonable enough. I love that. I love that. And you know, that's so true. The rent is the key element. I mean, we can add additional income to any of these properties, but there are no guarantees that people are going to want. Not everybody is going to want the covered parking. Not everybody's going to want whatever uh, additional items that you're going to be um, offering on the property. So I, I love the fact that it is, is simplifying it because we overthink everything. Mm-hmm. How do, how do you, how do you take some of that pressure off? And I'll, I'll, I'll double down on what you just said, Candace, that we, um, we bought a 53 unit in Indianapolis that had a washer dryer combo unit. And we thought, Oh, this is the best. It's a washer and dryer. We're going to get $50 more. Uh, it was a combo. Those things suck guys, like people pack them, you can wash one towel at a time in those things, I'm here to tell you, right? So when they started breaking, we started taking them out and thought, oh, are we gonna have to give like $50 less in, uh, you know, rent to people to get them to take it? No, they rented at the same dang price that they rented with the washer dryer. Uh, You don't know until you get there, you know? I'm with a limited partner in the deal where they have washer and dryer hookups and they were expecting to rent as additional income, the washer and dryers. It turns out the people that were coming in brought their own. Some markets do that. So I had a college teammate. Uh, uh, We lived in Georgia. I grew up in Illinois. Undergrad was in Georgia. She was from Indiana. She traveled down from Indiana to Georgia with her dang washer and dryer. I'm like, this is the most absurd thing ever. But it was so normal and commonplace for people from Indiana to just own and, and move like it's a bookshelf, your uh, washer and dryer, you know. So it's it's market dependent. And again, another reason I'm going to underline it in bold and italics again, a reason to really know very well one market. That's very true. That's very true. And I, it's, that, it's actually my, my limited uh, partnership is in Georgia. Oh, how you like them apples? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I really like what you said about the fact that it's a lot of the underwriting and the numbers that, you know, the passive investors are going to see. It is, they are essentially just guesses and they have to um, realize that. And like you said, that how educated is the guess? And that's, that's what they have to figure out. And that's that can be a scary, tricky part for uh, a new passive investor that's coming in, you know, looking at a bunch of different deals for the first time. And then they're seeing all these and like, okay, these guys are all just guessing. Like, how do they know? Because I know if they're like, they're like the analytical type person or like for myself, when I made my first passive investment, like I went in and I looked at all the numbers and I went and I like double checked and provided I was also on active investor at the time. So maybe my mind kind of went more that way. But I know a lot of people that I speak to um, that are looking to get into their first passive investment um, are really worried. They feel like they need to know so much before they make that first investment. And, um, you know, a lot of a lot of operators, we found that it goes some different ways. Some um, 
syndication operators won't really even work with somebody unless they have, regardless of the a, a B or C type investment, they won't work with somebody unless they have a general knowledge. And I think that's really, that's a smart, smart way to go because if they can't look at the numbers and understand what that educated guesses are, then it's going to be, it, it could be scary for them. Definitely. So I, I, th- I want to piggyback on what you're saying, uh, especially because if this podcast is geared towards pa- passive investing, uh, people who want to invest passively. Uh, if I have a spreadsheet and I change just a couple numbers, your return goes from 2% cash on cash to 10% cash on cash, right? So things to understand, red flags, things that can really change that number that you want to fully understand the levers uh, are the exit cap. So I am picking out of thin air, what will the market look like when I go to sell? You are absolutely making that up and there is no good way to know. Absolutely no good way to know. What I'm asking you to ask of your syndicator is their their thought process behind it. Are you adding, you know, half a, a, a BIP or, one, you know, a, a tenth of a BIP or whatever the thing is. I just want to know that you have a reason and I want to know why that you did it. The second thing is, you know, we talked about rents being the primary driver. If you are, uh, if you currently are renting at $800 a unit and your syndicator tells you, but we're going to get $2,000 a unit day one when we go, no, like you're not going to be able to collect that rent side, uh, that upside in rent until those leases have expired. It's lost to lease until that lease expires and you're able to re-up it. And oh, by the way, if you're buying a 1960s building and your comparable rent is a brand new construction that's right next door, there's no way in God's good green earth that you're going to get the exact same rent, even if it's the same size and it's painted pretty on your 1960s product that you're going to get in a a brand new construction. So fully understand where the rents are coming from, because that's I've seen a a lot. The stuff that's going south these days, it's when their underwriting was too rosy around the um, rents. Their exit caps were bonkers and they got on bridge debt that adjusts without a rate cap. Those are the three big things that are super red flaggy for me. So Mandy, that's such good information that you're sharing. Um, and uh, just so to, I hear like a couple of things like overthinking there, which I think there were, that's the mass. How do we chunk this down and like some consistency in the market that you're focused on? And so for the overthinkers, I'll simplify, like, so like for someone saying, you know, I only need to invest in my backyard or like, where should I go? Where should I start? I mean, think, you know, think triggers to look for. And uh, so how can we like simplify or summarize and, you know, all that we've said, because that's, um, you know, all of this has been great um, advice and great, it's, you know. It's easier said than done, right, Tamara? I feel like end of the day, your approach will be slightly different if you're uh, looking to place capital as a passive investor or looking to be an active investor. In my opinion, if you are looking to be an active investor, you need to be specialized on a market. I I get super wary of those guys who are, you know, those capital raisers and don't get me started on the capital raiser t- 
title, I have SEC. Well, back in the day, my first jobs uh, after my master's in economics, where I worked on the floor board of the trade, the board of trade. So I had SEC series licensure, and I don't love the way many guys approach the uh, capital raising stuff. If you're a capital raiser who's in 45 different markets. I am wary of you. You, your guesses aren't great. If you are a capital raiser for a guy who all he does is Indianapolis, another guy all he does is Oklahoma. Okay, maybe you could convince me because then your guesses are going to be good. If you are a passive investor, your job is to look for the active investor who specializes, in my opinion. So uh, the overthinking stuff. If you're the passive investor, look for the jockey and really make sure that you know, like, and trust. And understand the numbers enough to know if they're feeding you a line or not. Also, I, um, I have, there's a resource that I found. It's a free thing. It's called uh, privateinvestorclub.com. If you go to privateinvestorclub.com, there's a forum where people like passive investors talk behind sponsors' backs. Right. So I can be like, you know, hey, I'm not getting uh, uh, they're withholding the capital call on this guy. Can't believe he's I've been very disappointed in the communication, whatever those types of things are. That's a forum where only passive investors are allowed to, to talk those things out. So passive investor bet on the jockey, get get super precise there. If you're an active investor, that's when you pay. Uh, you really start to specialize on your one market. Wow, that's fantastic. What a great resource. I like resources, guys. I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I got friends. I'll tell you that. <laughs> hey, hey, that's that's the best way to do it. Nobody can be um, be an expert of everything. It, that's not what it's about. Nothing's about being the best in everything. It's about knowing what you know and then knowing how to get that knowledge information. That's, that's key. Definitely. But... Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's really going to be the best takeaway is know your, you know, bet on the jockey and make sure they know because you, you can't know all these things. And when it comes to the little things for those overthinkers that like to kind of dig in a little bit more themselves, you know, um, going back to resources, there's a lot of different things. So you can kind of spot check, you know, that the jockey or the syndicator for that market, because, yeah, they could always be in. Uh, you know, in the let's no, no one really passively invests that much in Massachusetts. Let's go with Georgia. <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of different areas in Georgia. Um, so make sure like you can jump on different things like um, spot crime is a good way to look into crime. Then in like um, Mandy had mentioned city data. That's a great little place you can look up a lot of different key metrics. So there's a lot of different resources that you can go on as a passive investor to kind of just uh, double check make sure their numbers are right. So, and uh, those are different things we can all share with you guys. Love it. So make sure, you know, how am I making this harder than it needs to be? Ask, your that, ask yourself that question doing something today. Like first time, first inkling of frustration on anything. How am I making this harder than it needs to be? You will come up with a new solution. And then how can I put more truth to this and it's going to be, it's going to come, become more clear. I, I am certain of that. I, I think yeah, I'm going to use that in like all you. things in <laughs> Yeah. Like, it's okay, all connected. Want, doesn't yeah. want to get dressed? Okay. Am I overcomplicating this? Like, doesn't does want to eat? Oh, okay. How am I overcomplicating this? I love that. I'm totally going to use that in like all aspects of life. <laughs> Mindy, when you were first, uh, your first um, limited partnership uh, investment, 
were you already active or did you do a limited partnership first? Um, and if you, uh, how, how, to avoid the overanalyzing, how long did, would you say it actually took you with, you know, living life to really decide to make that, that first plunge to, to invest? So I was pretty active in the a small multis, four, six, 10-ish of my own accounts before I jumped into anything kind of larger multifamily and uh, understood and appreciated the, um, the, the math behind all things multifamily and learned of a deal that the business plan just made a crap ton of sense because I, I knew I got very pristine on what I was looking for. I got very clear on what I was looking for to place this capital. And uh, as soon as I saw a business plan that made sense in a growth area with a guy I knew, I, I jumped at it. So I'm here to tell you, if you make the decision of where you want to go first, it's like, you know, if you want to drive from Chicago to New York, you can get there uh, or you can drive from Chicago to L.A., but it's a completely different set of instructions. You have to decide the outcome, what you're looking for, so you can start looking for it. Prime your brain to start looking for it. Love that. Love that. Thank you. Yeah, that's definitely a good piece of advice, definitely, because a lot of passive investors could just you know, they, they, like you said, they have capital and they will, they, they know, Oh, I, I want to make money. I want to make a return. I have money sitting here. What, but they have to get granular. You know, it's not just if you're purchasing the property, if you're going to do anything with it, figure out exactly what you want, know what a business plan is and looks like, educate yourself in that way. And then when you find a business plan that matches your goals, that's, that's the key to key to making that leap. So that's, that's a really good nugget that I hope I've, all the listeners really uh, hold on to. So if you're looking for a passive investment or if you're looking for an active investment, a thing that I will encourage you to do in order to crystallize that, I want you to be, and this is the women that I work with, like we, we go through the market, the thoughts that you should have around a market so you can pick that, the thoughts you should have around any partnership, the thoughts around you. And at the end of the day, I want you, the women who are able to say, I want to buy a, a six unit brick building in this zip code of Omaha, Nebraska, she finds it. The one that's like, I don't know, I just want to deal. Like they find nothing and they move forward in no way. So my thing that this is, this is not the Bible, but this is Mandy's choice that she's come up with in a few years of doing this stuff. I want to do a deal that will reach at least double digit cash on cash by year two. Right. So for me, as someone who, who wants to own for the longer term, the, the math behind an internal rate of return implies that I'm selling. I ain't selling. So I don't give a jack about the IRR. I care about my cash on cash. So if I can do whatever to my business plan to reach a cash on cash of double digits by year two, especially if it doesn't have a construction risk. So if what I'm saying is I can increase rents by putting in granite countertops and oh my God, granite's now six times what it used to be. Like now I've screwed up because I have construction risk. But things like uh, a rubs, a ratio utility billback system. That is not something that costs you construction money. If you're not charging a pet rent, I love buildings that don't charge pet rents, right? Or that aren't charging for uh, parking. The the non-construction uh, related uh, uh, potential for increasing collections in rent, those are my jam. So I want double digit cash on cash by year two, period. You don't hear of that often. Not no mo. 
that that was it was much easier to do sometimes. and that's why i'm pencils down honestly the sentiment in most of go abundance is the the big guys they're pencils down you know like that means not underwriting deals that means like because the you know in single family it's it's super hot right now and i i still do some flips just because i can't help myself guys i can't i see a good deal i can't help it and plus then the, like the kids can get involved in that super fun but you know Anyway, the single family market, things are flying off the market. In the larger stuff, like interest rates have screwed us up. And the irrational exuberance of sellers, the price discovery hasn't largely happened. So I don't love a lot of the deals that I'm seeing. So rather than beat my head against a wall, I'm paying attention to other stuff. I'm taking my portfolio that I have and trying to do better with it. For instance, I um, one of the first deals I ever did, I still own a six unit. It's in Kenosha, Wisconsin. They were supposed to have huge job growth, but they screwed it up. But any, anyway, there it's right next to a hospital. So I repositioned one of the units as a midterm rental. And now instead of 800 bucks, I get two grand out of that unit. And that's, that's the emergency I'm going to next, guys. So there's new headaches and stuff like that. So how can you take what you've got? If you can't get something new, how can you take what you've got and make it better? And that's super important. And that's something that... The passive investors should look at. And when you're looking at the operators, what's their history? Have they done that in the past? Do they know how to shift and pivot? Do they know how to make the most of the deals they have done? Because more than likely, you probably shouldn't be investing with someone running a deal if that's their first deal. You need to make sure that someone has experience. So if they have experience, find out what that experience was. What did they do in that? Was there a lot of hardships? Was it smooth sailing? Like So those are all important things that a good um, operator will do and know. So those are different things you can look at and ask the operators what they would do in XYZ situation. So thank you for that, Mandy. That was good. Another thing I want to point out is some of our contemporaries, guys, have quit W-2s and are dependent on acquisition and disposition fees, right? And from the jump, I have been like, oh, my God, you have to do four deals a year. How are you going to feed your kids? Like, what's going to happen? I can't. I don't know. Like, so are they doing a ton of deals a year because they're dependent on these acquisition and disposition fees. The, you know, right, wrong, and different. I have a lot of certainty in my, you know, I, and I don't thumb my nose at a fourplex or a sixplex or a tenplex that I own outright because I, I live off of that, the, the cash flow from those things so that I get a chance to sit on my hands when I don't see a deal worth doing. So while, you know, some people, you know, oh, I left my W2 and it's so glamorous and they be careful because they might be doing a deal that is is less than they would want or they're a little bit more rosy on their uh their math than they would otherwise be because they got to get a deal done because they quit their W2. Yeah. So Mandy, thank you for hitting on like the depths of real estate and how many options there are and how many pivots, the availability. That's why I love real estate. That's, I mean, investing in real estate gives you so much different opportunities and you're sharing really, I don't think we've touched on this yet with our listeners of that. There's different ways to take the same asset and pivot and make different um, streams of income. Um, and that, and being, you're touching upon it and it's really taking some of the risk factor, I hope for what, you know, if they start by starting, they haven't invested yet. It's, mm -hmm. we're really touching upon something that um, initially thought we thought we were going to talk about just Mark. This is just such a good depth of perception 
of like where this can take you. Like, you know, it's really not as risky as what I think, you know, like I say yeah. that. Well, girls, you get me talking, man, I just can't shut up. But I do think no. that there no, no, are no, ways to look at. I know, well, but there's there's ways to look at a deal before you're even in it. So if you're going to be active, totally. this is more important in my opinion. If you're active, do I have? I, I always get something under contract, and I'm like, how am I going to screw this up? Like, <laughs> I, I'm going to screw something up. Like, what's it going to be? And how can I plan to not screw up the thing that's going to be most likely to screw up, right? And then have two or three potential exits or plans. For, for the deal so that like, that's how you don't, that's how you get into a deal without losing money is right. you, you have the kind of pre built in pivots and the pre thought of uh, how am I going to screw this up? <laughs> you have to have multiple exit plans. You can't just have one because there's so many variables, variables in this industry. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you're depending on threading that needle, oh. you're, you're never going to thread that needle. Right. Like that. And I, I mean, that's something to be asking operators as a passive investor. All right. If that doesn't work, if that uh, increase of rents for three hundred dollars, what is our stress test in terms of, you know, what right. will IRR be if you can only capture fifty dollars of upside? Because this this apartment that I see on apartments.com, that's my favorite way to run comps, by the way. Like right. there's all these paid things. I just frigging go to apartments.com and then I call the place and pretend I'm shopping for my dad for an apartment. Right. Mm -hmm. To see what they're actually mm -hmm. getting. And then, you know, the truth. How do I put more truth to this problem? So end of the day, uh, you can um, you absolutely can uh, prepare an asset for uh, a pivot before you get in. Well, this has been a plethora of information. <laughs> right. <laughs> how can how can our, how can our listeners get a hold of you if um... Sure. The uh, very best way to see all the weird stuff I'm up to is on my website, mandymcallister.com. Or as I mentioned before, um, I have the opportunity to serve as CEO of the Tribe of Millionaires for Women, Go Abundance Women. You probably hear uh, the guys on Bigger Pockets talk about their membership. Well, guess what, guys? It's not 1952 anymore, and there's a women's division, and I get the chance to run it. So if you want to talk Go Abundance and the Tribe of Female Millionaires, uh, I am your girl. So Mandy at MandyMcAllister.com is an email for me, too. Congratulations on that position, by the way. Thank yeah. you. It's so Fantastic. fun. I just wingman my girls all day long. It's the best. Oh, so great. It's so great. I love that. Love it. So, one of the things uh, we like to do, Mandy, is um, we like to end or ending uh, or the podcast with a, mi a mindset quote of the day. And I have three cards. Ooh. from and it's one two or three two okay two two okay a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle by that Bob is wingmanning your girls <laughs> i'm saying totally and then we like to talk about it so then and then it's just you said it like before now we're like segueing i love it <laughs> you so love there's there's a woman did a um a ted talk a number of years ago on uh how girls are taught to be perfect and boys are taught to be brave right and then she turned that into a book and then i just i just posted on my social media that she was being interviewed um and she was she was asked to do a, a talk at bill gates's summit 
and her slot, her name's Reshma, I can't, I'm blanking on her last name, but uh, her slot was between Bill Gates and uh, Warren Buffett. And whoever was like prepping her was like, ah, oh, you're gonna be nervous. You know, they're in the front row. And she thought, oh, hey, I wish they gave me 12 minutes. I only have 10. I have a lot to say. Because every time, and I, I agree with this completely too, every time I ascend whatever ladder of whatever I'm trying to climb, I look around me and I'm like, you're running what? It's yearned? Like you're, these are your thoughts and you're in charge of who? You know, it's me and my girls, we can run circles around this. Like the imposter syndrome stuff that I think women take on way more than men, generally speaking, you know, the, just the, you learn how to trust your own judgment, apply more truth, and then, you know, lift, lift other women up as you go. Cause you're given two arms for a reason. One to pull yourself up, but the other is to pull other people up, especially if you're a girl wingman and your girls, uh, pull them up along with you. So that candle loses nothing by lighting somebody else. It's oh, fantastic. You know, the one thing I love helping other people and, you know, I was taught a long time ago, it's never judge who your messengers will be because a lot of time in the process of helping someone else, not only do you get so much more uh, confidence, so much more is from that, but the person that you're helping could say something that triggers oh right this is a great idea to do something just to pivot because it's all about perspective and we get so narrow-minded sometimes mm -hmm. but you know like you were saying yes you want to look at a specific market but it's like the how do you look at that specific market it's not just this way this way this way you know mm -hmm. um one thing that i think about with that is once we were evaluating this property and oh we really really wanted it and we had an loi they were about to sign it something told me i just happened to speak to um a local person and i'm pretty gabby as you guys can tell on this podcast and i just started talking and we had some things in common and then all of a sudden he started opening up a little bit about this property and information he knew and he's like, are you sure you guys really want to, do you really know about this property? But he was in a position where he couldn't really speak about it. You know, like unless, and I was like, I'm getting the concept. If I ask the right questions, he can answer. So mm -hmm. we danced around so that he could continue to not overstep his, his boundaries of where he was, his position at his job. And I danced with questions with him. And with that, I was able to actually get some really amazing an um, answers to the questions and my gut instinct was right. And I brought it back to the team and we decided not to purchase the property. So um, with all that Sometimes being said, the best, uh, the best deals are the ones you don't do. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I, I think throughout this entire uh, podcast, we have like summarized, summarized. It's about narrowing your focus, really keeping it simple Mm -hmm. um, do do your due diligence. Don't rely on what everybody tells you. Um, mm -hmm. But also, you know, because you have your responsibility, it's your choice of what you want to do with your money. But but also take that action to make that decision to change your life and um, and get the returns that you want. Focus in and pay attention to your gut instinct about what feels right for you. Yeah, definitely. Thank you guys for having me on. This was such a ball. Yeah. <clears throat>
Thank you, Mandy. And uh, we also just want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today. And if you want to learn more, you could check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or visit our website at therealestatewomen.com. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> okay, bye. The information contained in this podcast is for educational purposes only. We are not licensed professionals and do not give investment advice, tax advice, or other professional advice. Please consult a licensed professional before making any financial decisions.